Okay, quiet on the set, everybody. Stand by. Roll camera. Speed. Roll sound. Speed. Market. And cue talent. Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Art Aldridge, and this week in production, it's a wrap of Iditarod 50. This week in production is produced by Art Aldrich. The thoughts and opinions expressed here are undoubtedly his own. You can reach Art at thisweekinproduction at gmail.com. You can also leave a voice message for Art at 601-564-TWIP. That's 601-564-8947. This is Don McGee. To book me for voiceovers, please call 908 451 6760. Joining me this week, I have two Iditarod newcomers, Steve and Brett, and we're going to talk about their their experience on the Iditarod Trail. Steve, Brett, welcome. So, Steve, I'll start with you. Give us your brief resume in the business. Broadcast journalism degree from Gonzaga and worked in local news in Spokane uh, at the CBS affiliate as a Started as a producer and then uh, went and then was an editor and then was a photojournalist. So 13, 13 years um, covering news, weather, mostly sports in the last lot of years. <laughs> um, and then uh, when I was out of there um, almost nine years ago, I've been freelancing for Gonzaga since then. Just as far as like this goes, you know, that's kind of been the thing that's kept my foot in the fire. And then I've done a few other freelance things. Um, think I talked to you about you know I shot a thing for Judd Heathcote in Michigan State that was phenomenal it just you know always reminds me of those little things I might get an opportunity for that are just really cool that I get paid to do but I would pay to do them in some cases so you know when they when they come up I, I take them serious even though I kind of like being I like being out of news trust me but uh um yeah, keeping my foot in the fire of that stuff is, is cool and getting those opportunities. It's, you know, the people are always great. How did you get here? Like, how did you get the call? What was offered to you? What was described to you? Just tell me what the offer was to come to Iditarod. Well, this is 2022, so there was no call. It was a tweet. <laughs> uh, a tweet? Yes. Greg Heister tweeted me. I. It's really the only social media I use consistently mostly for sports, 99.9% .9 for sports. And Greg is obviously somebody that works in sports. Uh, and also Jordan, that's with our crew. The two of those guys were the only two guys I knew. And they both they both sent me, uh, Greg sent me a tweet and then they both direct messaged me and Jordan forgot that he had my phone number. So we just started talking and they said, hey, if there was a year that uh, we could ask you to do this, this is probably the year just because with COVID and everything going on, I haven't been working full time as much over the last two years. So they're like, well, maybe he could, he's not doing as much and he could use the money. So I turned down some a trip to Vegas to <laughs> come up to Alaska. And I thought, you know, this is something obviously I haven't done, but something that, uh, you know, would be a fantastic experience. And I, it was, uh, Greg gave me about 24 hours and, you know, it's pretty easy to say yes because I know that I might not do it again or may not have the opportunity or anything. So yeah. So So you get a tweet from Greg Heister. Did you were you familiar with the Iditarod before the tweet? 
Yes and no. Probably like most people, I just thought it was a dog race in the snow, right? And, uh, you know, more extreme than that, but I really didn't know. You really don't know till you're there. And it's, uh, we were, we were all talking last night and basically, yeah, you think of all the things that, that happened to you along the way over the course of a few weeks. And then you think about what the mushers and the dogs go through and you're like, I haven't done shit, <laughs> but it's tough and it's a great challenge, but I had no idea what it was about. So did you have to go and do a little research before you said yes? Did you, did you, what were your, you know, pros and cons for doing the job? So Jordan sent me a lot of his videos that he's done and Jordan's just phenomenal shooter and editor. Um, he, he sent me some videos. Uh, Greg called me and talked to me about some things. I had already kind of said yes at the beginning, but I said, let me think about some things. And my biggest drawback was buying all the gear that it was going to take to come here because they prefaced it with, it's going to, it could be 60 below and all those things. And you got to prepare for that. And I basically have gotten rid of all my cold weather gear because I work indoors now. <laughs> and you know, I have jackets and shoes, but I wear flip-flops and t-shirts all the time. And, uh, so that was kind of a, a big thing for me was, you know, I don't have a lot of that stuff and a lot of the gear I do have, I, I had a bunch of stuff stolen in September. So I'm like, shoot, I got nothing. I don't want to go spend three, $4,000 to go on this trip. And Jordan's like, I got it all. Don't worry about it. And that was a huge, um, you know, kind of reliever, like, you know, Oh, okay. Well, if I don't have to go buy all this stuff and kind of freak out about it, then I, you know, he's got me covered cause he's done this. So that was, that kind of helped put me over the edge of deciding. Right now the position that both of you guys were drafted into was the live streaming component, which, and, and this is a little unusual in terms of the way that this particular job is structured because Greg Heister is the producer of the, you know, video part of it. I am the producer of the live stream, but he was the one basically putting together the, the staff, the personnel that I would, you know, have access to. I didn't really have any uh, input into it. And we've had people in the past who were not, um, let's just say, who were not really prepared for the job or maybe not even up to um, the commitment of a professional uh, at that point. So it's been a rough go. And anytime that I hear there's going to be new people, it's usually after the fact, usually after they're hired. So I'm like, okay, we got two new guys because originally one of the regulars was going to come back, plus my friend Tom, who's worked the Iditarod for about eight years. I mean, I had two people. I thought I was only getting one new one. And then something happened with one of the guys. He had to back out for uh, family reasons. And then so now I'm getting two new guys. So there was some skepticism on my part about, okay, how well is this going to go? So I'll, I'll ask you this way, Steve. The, the description of the job given to you versus what the job was when you got out there, how did that match up? Um, great question. Uh, a lot of it did match up. J Jordan prepared me for everything. So did Greg. They pre it matched up because they prepared me for the worst. So... You know, Brett and I, because we roomed together when we got into town in Anchorage a couple weeks ago, we kind of, you know, we both knew we were new. So we talked about a lot of our background and a lot about what our expectations were. And and uh, then we kind of talked about it. We hadn't seen each other for almost two weeks until he got into town yesterday. And we talked about it again. It's like, um, 
the things that we expected were better. I get it that this year it was warmer and things like that. But as far as preparation, um, you know, Jordan, just like I said, kind of provided me with a lot of the things I needed to succeed. He set me up for success. And, um, um, you know, the obviously the weather didn't get as bad. There were some rough times. I mean, cold weather's cold weather, no matter what. Um, but we were, at least me, I was set up uh, with the right, um, you know, different type of, you know, sleeping bags and, and clothes. And, um, you know, I brought the right kind of food, um, you know, all that kind of stuff. But the, the, a lot of the views were, I mean, the scenery was just phenomenal, was a lot better than I thought. I thought it'd just be white snow and mountains and, and even the flat areas, just the, I don't know why, but the ice looked cool because it was so sunny most of the time, just the reflections and, and, um, one of the best things I brought was sunglasses because I said it for two weeks. There's so much snow and ice and sun that it just it starts to hurt your eyes looking through viewfinders and such. So everything starts looking black and white at some point. So the the sunglasses were clutch. I think that's <laughs> why uh, that song "I Wear My Sunglasses at Night" was uh -huh. written. All right, Brett, give us your brief professional resume. Very brief. I've done. Uh, sports television for almost 30 years now. I've been a camera operator for that entire time. Um, I used to say that if it's been televised, pretty good chance if it's sports, I've shot it. Now I think I can almost for sure say that. Um, but went to school in the early 90s for video production and grew up not liking sports and then realized, huh, okay, I can make a living at it and do a job that people would, like he was saying, pay money to be able to do. Um, so the one thing I do before every show is I take a look around at the stands, everybody in the stands, and realize how lucky I am to do the job I do and how many people up there would pay to do the job that I'm doing. So you were offered this position at the very last minute. Yeah, I think I had two, maybe three days notice. It's eerily uh, similar to a situation where I had drafted one of my friends to come up in a pinch, like on two days notice and, and come up and do this race. So tell me about that whole process. The What was the call like? What went through your your head? Um. Well... I've known Philip and Kevin Bodie for years. Um, two, and, two of the camera yes. guys. And, and there's an episode with Phil that you can go back and listen to from 2020 where he talks about his position, which is a super extreme, hardcore position running a camera on a, on a snow machine. But yeah. So you're friends with Phil I'm, and and Kevin, who's also a longtime cameraman for the Iditarod. Correct. Kevin's been talking to me about the doing this that he does this show for – over a decade and um so i've i've been hearing all the stories and everything else and about three months ago maybe not even that long ago i was talking to to bodie on one of our shows that we do together and he was talking to me about snowmobiling and stuff like that and i brought up that i've ridden snowmobiles almost my whole life he's like oh well you should come do the i did a ride with us so the 
it was already kind of planted in my head. You had talked about it. Yeah. And not real seriously or anything, but very preliminarily. And then it kind of went to the wayside. And um, then about three days before I, maybe two days before I got the call from, from Philip and Bodie about this, um, this time, I was supposed to be working on a TNT hockey show on the 16th. Well, I found out that they had cut my camera. So I was like, okay, well, now I got nothing to do for the next two and a half, three weeks. And then I got the the message to do this. I looked at my fiance, Michelle. I'm like, well, what do you think? She's like, I guess we're going to go buy a bunch of gear. Um, so literally I had three days notice I think it was to go get everything but one of those days I was working a hockey show which was going to end up being a 17 or 18 hour day so there was no way I was going to have a chance to do anything that day and that happened to be the day before we left so I hopped on the plane with like four hours of sleep already so I was already sleep deprived before I even left Seattle was there any thoughts like, oh, no, this is not for me? Like, did you have a little internal debate about whether you wanted to take the job or not? Like, what what were some of the factors that you said, oh, maybe I shouldn't do it, if there were the, any? The only real factor that came into my head was um, family stuff. Um, missing my fiance, missing my kids, missing our kids, and... Um, her oldest daughter, which is going to be my daughter as well, um, is due to have a baby any minute. Oh goodness. And, oh. and the, the big rumor was that she was going to have it on my birthday, which was on the 10th. So I was like, Oh God, I'm never living this down. Um, so the, those are all huge factors and it more than being able to come up and, and do it. Cause I, I've shot stuff never in 20 below by any means, but on very little sleep and, and so on. But the the big thing for me was what I was leaving behind, not what was in front of me. I think that that's one part of this job that I don't think anyone realizes. Because you, you might even be told that it's desolate and isolating, I don't think I was ever told that, but um, it really is. When you get out there, uh, and you guys have been on the trail in small villages, remote, not much. I mean, you have you had some support. Obviously, you have power and you have Wi-Fi because we have satellite uplinks and all this stuff. But I've I've spent time in checkpoints where you have nothing, not even um, a heater in a tent. You're sleeping basically oh, outside, God. and it is lonely and isolating. And you do have to sort of confront your internal <laughs> demons a little oh, bit. Yeah. Did you have any of those moments on the trail? Yeah, um, unfortunately. Uh, I think it was four, maybe five days ago, I learned that my son's in the hospital. Oh, no. Um, which I wasn't going to bring up. Oh. But um, that was real tough for me to not just say, screw it, I need to go home. But I made a commitment to do it, and I always 
have prided myself on no matter what, I will honor my commitments. That's a tough. No matter what. That's a tough decision. Is he okay? We don't know. Oh. He's still in children's. Okay. So. But, I mean, for me, I think the communication part of it was the hardest to deal with. The, the, the limited communication. Yes. Yeah. I mean, trying to walk around these villages to find an open Wi-Fi spot or something so that I can get a third-party message to my son's mom to try and get some update. Um, that was very challenging. Right. I, I think more than anything, the communication was the hardest part for me. Right, right. And then that was probably obviously a, a low for you in the race. Uh, what, what were some of the uh, spots that were a little more uh, like, wow, this is incredible. Huh. Did you have any of those? <laughs> Yeah, um, I was in Cripple the night of my birthday, and it's just this huge, flat marshland, from what I understand, that is absolutely beautiful. And late in that night, um, I was shooting something, and Bodie calls me over and just points up to the sky, and there's Northern Lights on my birthday. It's like, okay. Didn't have a birthday cake with candles, but there's some candles, I guess. <laughs> that cool. that was awesome. That was definitely awe inspiring. Right, and, and like, you don't get to see those all the time. No, I've, I've been out 15 years. I've only seen them twice. Yeah, and like Steve was saying, this um, countryside and all the images that are now in our heads and implanted in our phones and everything are just amazing. And that's something that no pictures that somebody else could show you will ever do justice. What about you, Steve? What were your sort of highs and lows? You asked what the point that would almost sound like, what's your breaking point? I mean, there wasn't a breaking point, but I definitely, the last day I was, <laughs> from all the checkpoints I went to, I was in White Mountain at the end for... 72 hours four days over 72 hours and uh without heat <laughs> well let's, for the let's, most part. let's let's talk a little bit about that checkpoint oh, and and that's a specific area you want to go well to. <laughs> it was it was something that you know not doesn't happen in a normal production no. world right like we're normal used to normal sort of production jobs this is not that kind of job this is a job that is so different from any other job and most of this race is run by volunteers like we're paid staff so we're different but we rely on people who are basically not getting paid probably taking their vacation time to come up here and be out here to support the mm -hmm. race and have to do jobs and so things don't always happen the way that they are supposed to happen on a normal production let's say for sure like if someone's supposed to be there to pick up the crew let's just say on a normal job that doesn't always happen here so tell me about what happened when you rolled into your your white mountain stay yeah so we just got dropped off and there was just myself and the our uh the guy that was kind of going with us a little bit uh sean from gci the satellite tech yeah which you know we we can't get live without him so he and i had kind of become friends of for you know being with each other on a few checkpoints and good guy to talk to so i was like all right at least he's here we'll help each other set up and to 
fast forward through that mess, it basically just was, as you described, that just volunteers, we got there early. So we literally were helping these two kids set up. You get into White Mountain. <laughs> I was and trying it, to speed it up. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. It's fine. My job is to kind of poke a little bit. Ah. So so you get into White Mountain, and what's the temperature of White Mountain? I don't know. 10 Less below. than 10 degrees. Well, less than 10 degrees without the wind. Okay, you know? somewhere somewhere between zero, zero. and 10 yeah. plus the wind chill. Yeah, which I'm prepared for. It's right. okay. And then how much time does it take to get everything set up the first time? I mean, we spent an hour just setting up about 75% of that before we were told to move. So it takes a while, yeah. you know, between the two of us. Cause we got, I wanted, wanted to help him get set up first, get power and, and then do my stuff. Cause my stuff doesn't take as long, you know, because at this point, white mountain was my last checkpoint. I had done it enough times where I knew right. what I was doing, but yeah, then we had to move it again. And, and it just was more difficult because we didn't know where we were going to set up. So I just kind of set up right next to him and it, you know, um, once we got, the tents in place and everything. I mean, it took, you know, we got there at four. We probably started actually setting up at five and it was dark. I mean, it was probably 10, 30, 11 before we were actually done setting up and, and, you know, you saw us, you know, back here or something. I mean, it took a long time. And to add insult to injury, the checkpoint wasn't fully staffed or supplied. So nobody there. So you had no food, no water, and no heat, if I understand it. Correct. <laughs> so that's, you know, really pretty hardcore situation to be in. Like, what was just, like, at that point, what was going through your so head? So that's back to what you asked Brett, the low and high points. That's where I was kind of like, ugh. I mean, it was okay. I just was like, this is my job, man. But at the end of it, like the last day, I was kind of like, I wouldn't mind going back somewhere else or whatever, just because that was when I was by myself. But to skip back, so we toughed it out that night. Um, and uh, the next day, people started showing up in the afternoon and some supplies started trickling in. And it just uh, it was a little daunting. Like, when is this going to happen? You know, we can do our jobs, but how long can we do this for? Because this was Sunday night. Right. And I, you know, according to uh, talking to, you know, Greg and some other people thought I could be there as late as today is what it sounded like. I'm like, okay, if I'm going to be here for five days, <laughs> I'm going to run out of food and hand warmers and everything. Yeah. And, and I, but I wasn't thinking that way at the time. But it did cross it through your head. Cause it, yes, because it trickled in so slowly and our heater in our tent wasn't working that we were cold. <laughs> I mean, it was a little desperate, you know. It was a shit show for a sec, but we got it done, and you did. But there's no, there's no uh, handbook, right, on how right. to manage that. Right. It's like you're just dealing with it. And I'm a rookie, and Sean doesn't work with us, so I'm just trying to predict. Yeah. Hey, what's my best options here? Right. Because I wasn't with Jordan, and I didn't have kind of that right. guidance. So. Right. Right. You guys were yeah. definitely thrown out onto onto the edge you know <laughs> by yourselves and i mean i remember the first time i went out at least i was out with someone who had been out you know a couple times and knew the and it does help you guys really just were thrown out there yeah so you guys both did great um anything that you learned about yourself or about you know just being out in the elements that you could say oh man this is going to really get me to the next level anything like that the things that changed me a little bit weren't necessarily 
related to what we were doing. It was more of what I saw in the villages and the mushers and things like, well, I guess that's related to mushers, but just what they go through, what the dogs go through and just the villages. Like, you know, I had been told about a lot of things and a lot of them are a little poverty stricken and things like that. But God, these are the nicest people you've ever met in your life because cause COVID I've kind of, you know, thumbs down on people because I've seen the worst of people these last couple of years when I thought people would kind of come together, but it was really cool to meet a lot of these people. And I made a lot of really good connections. And that was kind of what changed me a little bit to just be like, all right, there's still really good people around. And, uh, you know, and even people in this crew, um, I think we talked about this yesterday. Like I'll always remember all these people that we worked with and I'll probably be friends with a lot of these people for a long time. There, there will definitely be a connection amongst the crew, just how it is. And I, I've, you know, I've done this for 15 years. I've hired many of the people who've worked on this job and other jobs, you know, because these are solid people. And you see, it it weeds out people. You could tell the quality. If you make it to the end, it's it's a testament. Brett, what about you? You know, anything for you that you've like, like for me, every year when I leave this race, I have a new appreciation for what I have back at home oh absolutely like running water running water <laughs> i mean yeah little things like the ability just to make an espresso whenever i want like yeah. you see how some of these people are living and it is like a little bit like wow yeah i mean like to piggyback off of what steve was saying just the appreciation that coming through these towns we saw from all these villagers was amazing i never would have expected it um i my last checkpoint i was at was koyak and when we first rolled in there there was nothing was set up they had some stuff there already and we were sleeping in a building but um all of a sudden our gci satellite guy bob just kind of took the bull by, by the horns and said, okay, this stuff needs to go here. This stuff needs to go here. And the kids in the village were all pitching in, moving hay bales and sliding stuff around, which was really cool. They were almost treating it like a game. And it was actually their spring break from what I understand. So we're seeing these kids come, not sledding, just sliding. A couple of them had found a little piece of plastic and they were sliding down this hill around this corner. And it reminded me of when I was a kid. You just did what you could to have fun. And that's what they were doing. And that I think I will definitely never forget. The appreciation for running water and indoor plumbing. And that, that cannot be understated. The absolute appreciation of a five-gallon orange bucket that luckily I never had to experience. <laughs> um, but I know that most on the crew did. So, uh, all like you had mentioned, all the volunteers that they take their vacation time to come do this because of the adventure and the experience of it and the act, actual ability to alter your perception of how people are it was absolutely amazing 
Final question for each of you. I'll start with you, Brett. Oh, God. I've, I've been able to think about all my answers ahead of time until now. <laughs> so just a quick, without thinking too much, if you were asked to come back and do this again, would you say yes? I'm, I definitely will have to consider it. I the Like I said before, the tough part for me was the communication and everything that went on at home is why i would have to think about it absolutely otherwise i mean if it was just a show to come to come work on and and that stuff and be able to see what i saw absolutely if at home wasn't a factor right but that's and that's what makes this job different in many ways is that you know you're basically gonna have to check out from from everything literally everything yeah. for three weeks or yeah. so so that part's hard so no, I mean, I've, I've had to do that in, in my career many times but not to this extent yeah this is like almost a complete shutdown yeah, of the, yeah. i mean i've been i've been gone for weeks at a time but never not had cell yes, service at absolutely least. <laughs> yes. so so yeah that's that would be my one driving factor would be okay how Am I going to miss things at home? Right. Um, and the fact that we didn't actually experience the 40 and 50 below. I mean, did I get cold? Yeah. There, there was a few times where my toes got cold. But for the most part, um, the stuff that I was told to buy and Philip had hooked me up with a bunch of his cold weather stuff. So I didn't have to go buy everything. Um, that stuff was a godsend. I mean, I didn't even wear most of it right. that I brought with me. But the stuff that I did bring, I was sleeping in sometimes. Right. Steve, what about you? If you were offered this again, yes or no? Um, for me, I would say yes, a thousand percent if it was any other time of the year and not in March. Because <laughs> I normally am around Gonzaga basketball and stuff all month. But this year was just kind of a an outlier in the sense of work, you know, with work and everything. And, um, I'm such a sports nerd. So it was, it was hard for me, but I mean, I can do it. I mean, there's, there's places I go like up at Priest Lake in Idaho, there used to be no service there. And I kind of liked that for a couple days on a weekend, but now everywhere has Wi-Fi and stuff. So I kind of liked not, I, even when I knew I could log into Wi-Fi, I wouldn't because it was kind of nice knowing I could be out of everything. There is, there is something nice about not having the news just yes. beaten in front of you, and there's that part of it. But it's nice to have the choice when you want to connect and disconnect sure. and not almost be like, well, okay, I'm going to be blacked out in, yeah. intentionally. So yeah. I will say thank you to both of you. It's It was really a pleasure to work with you, even though we didn't, physically uh interact on the trail um you were the eyes and the ears for the race fans and you made my job pretty easy because i didn't have to constantly chase you out of bed and get to your camera and up to part. iris up yeah well you know <laughs> the sun's coming the, or iris down the, the sun's great, coming up the great plan that i had to compensate for that was these panasonic cameras that i could remotely control from here and at the last minute, we had some problems with the second backup uh, master control room, and I couldn't get... I, I, I would have to reset the whole system. So the plan was originally I would have to control over your iris, 
and your neutral density and things like that. But yes, I would have to sometimes chase you for that. <laughs> but for the most part, you guys were on it and you guys really stepped up and I I appreciated your efforts and I know the fans did. So I just say thank you and uh, maybe we'll see each other somewhere again. Do you have something to say? Drop me an email at thisweekinproduction at gmail.com or even better, call our new TWIP voice mailbox and leave us a message. 601-564-TWIP. That's 601-564-8947. Also, a reminder that This Week in Production is available on all major podcast platforms, including Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play. So please subscribe to get every episode. Lastly, if you like what you hear, would you mind giving me a rating or a review? I'd appreciate that. Okay, that's a wrap on This Week in Production. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.